I call it one of the sins of the world. To force the beauty of Jesus onto another people destroys the gospel. It doesn't, it doesn't help the gospel in any way. I'm hoping that we can make the gospel come alive again in a good way and that, that it can be looked at through a sort of a non-colonial lens from native people to native people. But also, we see it as a gift from our native people to the sacred family of Creator. Welcome to the newest episode of the In All Things podcast, where we host conversations with diverse voices about living creatively in God's created world. My name is Justin Ariel Bailey, and I teach at Dort University, which is home to the Andreas Center, the sponsor of this podcast. On this episode of the podcast, we are talking with Terry Wildman about a new indigenous translation of the New Testament, the First Nations Version. As always, if you find the conversation helpful, please take a moment to share the episode or leave us a review. Thanks again for tuning in. I have always loved learning other languages. Part of this surely owes to my having grown up in a family where I heard my mother speaking another tongue with my aunties and uncles. In high school, I studied French and German, Russian and college, Hebrew, Greek, and Korean in seminary. I'm still trying with Spanish, and I wish I could say that studying other languages has resulted in fluency in all these other tongues. But what has always captivated me is the way that learning another language requires a certain posture, that of a beginner. The willingness to try, the willingness to fail, the willingness to surrender and submit to another cultural logic than your own lets you know that there are other ways of seeing and being in the world, accessible through learning other words. Describing the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Luke goes to great lengths to identify all the diverse people groups who are present for the miracle. As the Spirit empowers the believers to speak in other tongues, each immigrant and pilgrim hears about the mighty works of God in his or her own language. This is important, the first sign of the rapidly expanding borders of God's family beyond the familiar. What always strikes me about this passage is the way that the Spirit of God does not homogenize. The gift in the passage is not a universal language. No, each person hears his or her own native language. Diversity is affirmed and embraced. The cultural backgrounds of these proselytes are taken up and grafted into the story of Jesus and the church. Whose language matters? Whose voice matters? Pentecost is the answer. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented in God's kingdom in the end. The gift of the Spirit reframes, but does not replace our cultural histories. Missiologist Laman Sane has even called Christianity a vernacular translation movement. It means that no one culture is allowed to claim for itself sole possession of the adjective Christian. Christian mission requires the affirmation of the dignity of human language. 
translating God's words into native tongues, insisting that the Spirit has something to say to and through these people too. At least that's the way it should be, according to the vision of the Bible. History shows us another side to the story, a story in which joining other cultures has too often led to the replacement of one culture with another. The First Nations version is unique because it is the translation of the New Testament into English. And yet, it is a translation done by representatives from the indigenous peoples of North America, for native peoples whose native languages have been all but replaced and forgotten. And so the First Nations version seeks to render the biblical text and the cultural logic and forms of meaning that resonate deeply with native peoples. The result, for both native and non-native readers, and I say this as a person who has tried to do my regular Bible reading out of this version for the last month, is illuminating, thought-provoking, and moving. So may the vernacular translation movement continue, and perhaps, as we learn to speak the good news of Jesus in other words, it will open up other worlds of meaning. So I'm joined now by two guests. The first is my co-host for this episode, Gail Dorenboss, who is a professor of theology with me here at Dort University. Gail, thanks for hosting with me. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be back. And our featured guest is Terry Wildman. Terry Wildman serves as the Director of Spiritual Growth and Leadership Development for Native InterVarsity. He is also the founder of Rain Ministries and has previously served as a pastor and worship leader. Representing his Ojibwe and Yaqui heritage, he is the lead translator, general editor, and project manager of the First Nations Version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament. Terry, we are honored that you've joined us. It's great to be here with you guys. It seems like I'm interviewing with some heavy hitters today, theology <laughs> professors. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if uh, having translated or, or led the translate, translation effort for this version, if you could tell us a little bit of the story of how this translation of the New Testament came to be. And then maybe you could even give us a taste of it by reading uh, a passage so that our listeners could hear its distinctive voice. And first of all, I'd like to say um, that my wife and I live in uh, Maricopa, Arizona. We live on the traditional lands of the Pima and the Tohono O'odham. And so uh, it's good to be here today. Uh, you know, the First Nation Version New Testament wasn't created by me alone. I was the lead translator, kind of the visionary on it. We had a whole group of Native people involved in this, probably over 50 Native people total, had some kind of input into this project, including a council of 12. But the story behind it and how it came about... Uh, my wife and I were uh, back in the year 2000, 2003, I'll, I'll go back to. We had been living on the Hopi uh, Indian Reservation in northern Arizona for about three years. And um, I had served with, we had served with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Um, after YWAM, we began to serve at the uh, Sunlight Baptist Mission that had been there about, a, about 100 years. The churches were using... Uh, the native churches there on the Hopi Res, there's about seven or eight native churches, were using mainly the NIV, which we jokingly called the New Indian Version. 
but but I noticed in the Bible studies we were doing, um, even when I was with YWAM, uh, we we would do Bible studies uh, in a talking circle uh, fashion. Um, but I I kind of saw that the the men and the women weren't connecting in in a, in a, a real significant way. And uh, it helped when we started the talking circle because that opened things up to be more cultural. And the you know I, I began to learn that the more you re- that we relate to people within their culture, the better we communicate. Uh, that kind of opened the way for me to eventually talk about um, uh, the idea of rewording the scriptures. So I worked with some of the guys in the uh, on the Hopi Res, some of the men and women, and. And just experimented with this idea. Let's let's reword the scriptures to to be more culturally relevant. Let's not change the meaning of every anything, but let's use wording in English. And and one thing I learned living in the Hopi Res was that that even though uh, our native people, our elders, are still speaking their language, many of them, um, uh, although all of them don't anymore. They're not reading their language, and that's a big difference because the the um, government assimilation policies, the uh, the churches got involved in helping uh, strip our native people of their languages. So when the children would come to boarding school, they couldn't speak their language. Some of them were actually punished for speaking their language, and so um, <clears throat> so the the Bible. Uh, you know, that, that has been translated into the many languages of our native people isn't being read by our native people. Uh, all they have is basically now we're all speaking English. <clears throat> so the idea to reword it in English in a way that related to our people, well, we started working on that and it started opening up new conversations. It started uh, relate, uh, the men and women said, oh yeah, I relate to that better. I, that means something more to me. And so um, uh, my wife and I, after that, we decided to, uh, to do some research and we found out that there's no Bible out there that was translated in English with our native people in mind to, as an audience. And, and so we experimented with it. And so we, uh, my wife and I are recording artists called Rain Song. And so, uh, we recorded a CD called The Great Story from the Sacred Book. And that actually won the Native American Music Award in 2008 um, as best spoken word. So we and, and we found out that that was well received. Um, we didn't have a written languages for the most part, so it was the missionaries that cr- created the language that we and but they many of them failed to teach it to us, and so. Um, so we began uh, this idea, and as as Darlene and I traveled, and we shared these portions of scriptures, we uh, we did some traveling and music and storytelling. We kept getting feedback that peop- that the, especially when we'd go to reservations and and uh, uh, different places where even traditional Native people were, we got positive feedback. There should be a Bible like this. So it took from two thousand three to two thousand. 12 for me to commit to this idea i thought someone else surely is going to do this and uh and so i i said okay i'll do it but i had no idea how how i was going to be able to carry that out and so uh 
I, I guess when you, if Creator is truly calling you to do something, He's going to open the doors. He's going to open the way. He's going to show us how to do it. Because I had to do more than just rewording. I think we really needed to do translating. And I wasn't trained as a translator. So how we were, you know, how could I do that? Uh, and and then uh, I created a website, a, a Facebook page. I started by doing the 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 birth story, birth of the chosen one. I did another harmony of the gospels. And then I started on the New Testament, and 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 that was in 2015, and that's when a Bible organization found our website, uh, and um, one book of Canada, and they contacted us. They they thought what we were doing was was valuable, and would we want to enter into a partnership? And so through prayer and meeting together. We entered into a partnership with a Bible translation organization, which eventually led to us forming a council, us drawing a lot of Native people together to do a cooperative effort. I wonder if there's a passage that you could read for us um, so that we can hear a little bit of the voice that is found in this version. Yeah, I, I, I often read uh, passages. I, I thought today I'd, I'd read from Hebrews. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, in many ways and at many times, the Great Spirit spoke to our tribal ancestors through the prophets. But now, in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son, the one He has chosen to give all things to. It is through His Son that the Great Spirit made the world that is, the world that was, and the one that is coming. This sun is the light coming from the face of the great spirit in all its bright shining beauty. What is true about the great spirit is true about the sun, for he represents creator in every way. It is his powerful word that holds the stars above, the earth below, and all things seen and unseen in their place. He came into this world to purify the bad hearts and broken ways of all people. When he was finished, he returned to the one above us all, to sit in the place of greatest honor at the right hand of the great mystery. Amen. Amen, indeed. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of the translation with us and the ways in which it communicates the beautiful truths of the gospel. And thanks for sharing some of the story. As I was reading it, and as I was learning a little bit about the process of translation that you went through, I'm wondering, as you worked together with other Native peoples who come from different tribes and different traditions, there's not a single monolithic Native culture. I think it's interesting that this is even called the First Nations version, not a First Nation version. And so I'm wondering that with what what is within sort of a native world native worldviews or even the history of the native peoples in North America that allowed you to write a unified First Nations version? I also wondered if there's any major points of conflict that you worked through, and maybe what were some of your surprises in the process of working together to create this version? Well, that's uh, those are great questions. Um, you know, one of the ways that it's possible for us to do a translation that relates across the board to many of our native people to all all the all the different native people is the 
is what happened to us with colonialism. Uh, we, a, a new language was forced upon us that we had to learn. We lost much of our own languages, and we're still tr- working on restoring some of those languages, but others have been lost perhaps forever. And so that language, English, being a common language, and us all now speaking in that language, allows us more and more to share our different uh, cultural ways with each other. We have powwows, we have gatherings, um, and we have uh, books that many have written over the years We uh, that talk about our different uh, ways of connecting, and we, we see our commonalities. Uh, obviously, uh, this translation was not tribally specific. So we use general terms. That, um, a, you could do an English one that's more sp- tribally specific if you wanted to, uh, which would be a great, a wonderful thing for someone to pick up. I'm not going to do it. Uh, but but uh, we thought a, a one that would kind of be a, a gap between uh, restoring our languages and then getting better translations done in our language by our own people. Um, and and where we're at now, this would be a good step in the right direction and could kind of fill a, a much-needed gap. Were there challenges along the way? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I began this translation. I, I had already developed lots of friendships people all over, um, First Nations people here in, in North America. My wife and I traveled uh, all across, uh, we call it Turtle Island, North America. We, uh, for, for years after we were done pastoring, we traveled and we, we connected to uh, in every state that we visited to uh, the tribal nations that are in those states and places. And so we developed these friendships and and so um, I drew from those friendships that, that we had uh, developed. And when we created this, this council, uh, we made sure that we came from diverse tribal heritages um, and ancestry, that we uh, came from diverse geographical locations and young and old, elders and, and, and young people, so that we would all be looking at this more uh, universally across the tribes some of the challenges, uh, you know, along the way is we had to decide, you know, how we were going to translate into English different words. You know, Wycliffe, Wycliffe um, identified, oh, almost 200 words that, that are very important key terms to use in any translation. And so we looked at all those key terms and we sat in our council. Uh, we were in Calgary, Canada for three weeks uh, one book and Wycliffe Associates worked with us and helped us. And we uh, went through that list of words and we we agreed on how we were going to say different things. And yeah, we didn't all agree at, at in the beginning, but we all finally came to say, okay, this is the best one we can use. And again, no translation is perfect. And we don't pretend that this is going to perfectly relate to all our Native people, but it will generally relate to all our Native people. And that is the feedback that we've been getting, is is that um, it is relating, um, and in a, in a very good way. Um, I we have native pastors and native leaders that are that think that this is going to be. They've told me that this is going to be a breakthrough time. This is going to provide a resource for ministry that has not existed in the past, and so. 
uh, yep, there were challenges. Uh, there were some terms that we didn't use, that we could have used, that some of us wanted to, but others didn't. And we we uh, worked out why we were, why we would or wouldn't use different terms. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing the process. And I'm wondering if I can dive into that a little bit more because as we think about the story of the Bible and the First Nations people, it's in many ways a story that's marred with the history of colonialism combined with the missionary efforts that you've talked about to diminish and take away Native culture and language. And I'm wondering how that's impacted the way that Native communities engage with and understand scripture. And then what are some of the translation choices that you made to reinterpret words that might have a history of harm attached to them uh, so that they could be received and appreciated with new and fresh eyes? So you give some examples in the appendix, like how you translated sin and kingdom of God. And I think it would be really interesting to hear you talk a little bit more about that process. Well, you know, in the, in the beginning, um, as we looked at different words, like for example, the word kingdom, that word doesn't relate well among our tribes. Uh, The idea of kingdom kind of came over to us from Europe and the European concept of kingdom uh, was kind of brought along with the message of the gospel as kind of a controlling, ruling kind of God or or creator. And we wanted to move away from that concept uh, of that word kingdom because when our Native people hear it, they relate it to the Bible. So what we did is we said, well, how are we going to say kingdom? And there's a, there was a lot of ways we could have said it. But what we did was we did some research. And, and one of our, our Native theologians, who's a Christian, uh, George Tinker, uh, in his book, uh, Spirit and Resistance, has a chapter where he talks about Native spirituality and the kingdom of God and what it might look like or be expressed within Native culture. And so we used his idea of a good road. The kingdom of God would be a good road, a way of life. As Native people think about our spirituality, we see it as a way of life. And we often use the metaphor of walking a good road as that uh, way of expressing the spiritual life. Um, And so we used that term. Creator's good road is the kingdom of God. For the word sin, sin, I, I, we called it, we finally called it sort of a trigger word because the word sin was used in our boarding school experiences to talk about it was a sin to speak our language. It was a sin to have long hair. It was a sin to have to pray with a feather. It was a sin to pray with smoke and things like that. It, sometimes it was a sin to be culturally a native, uh, we were told. And so we wanted to stay away from that word, but we want to express what is the meaning of the Greek word sin and, and what are other ways in English we could express that meaning. Um, so we chose uh, sometimes bad hearts, sometimes broken ways, depending on the context. And it does convey the idea. Native people understand sin a little differently. We understand it as being out of harmony with creation and with the creator, out of harmony with one another. And most of our ceremonies were about prayers to restore harmony once again, where harmony had been lost. And so 
we chose broken ways as a way to to look at creator has a way for us to live in harmony with one another and those ways have been broken one of the things that I think I noticed immediately, and most people probably will notice that makes this translation unique is the way that it renders the names of peoples and places in terms of the meaning of the words. So for example, Jesus is creator sets free and Jerusalem is village of peace and Paul is small man. Uh, and you give the familiar English names parentheses each time so that we have that as a resource. But I found that this subtle change shifted the way I experienced reading the text. It gave it a narrative depth. It gave it a gravity that, you know, sort of when you're used to seeing a name, you can gloss over it. Can you say more about that particular translation decision? And then how early in the process did you know that that's what you were going to do? Well, for me, it went clear back to about 2007 when Darlene and I created that CD uh, from creation to Christ called, you know, uh, the great story from the sacred book. So way back when I was rewording then, I already had the idea from talking to several other Native people that all of our our Native names have meaning. And I knew as a, as, as a, a Bible student that all the names in the Bible had meaning, especially we understand father of many nations. Abraham is the one of the prime examples because uh, Paul actually uses in his Romans argument about uh, Jesus and being the Messiah and what Abraham, and he says, Abraham is, as his name says, the father of many nations. And so um, scripture does it in our native culture our names all have meaning. Traditionally, we were given names with meaning. And so a lot of Native people really love that and relate to that in a really a good way. And to see that that scripturally, that biblically, uh, that the Jewish people had the same ideas was great. The only thing that happened when we finally formed our translation council, the council immediately approved the use of the names meanings of the names for everyone, but we had to figure out whether we would use the parentheses or not. So we had to do a lot of testing and get feedback. And, and finally, we settled on a, a little bit smaller font and, and, uh, and the parentheses just to give the standard English transla trans transliteration of the name uh, that's there. But I wasn't doing the all the names of the places in the Bible. Probably Village of Peace was the only one I had done. Um, and they said, oh, we need to do all the names in places. So what a, a challenge that was to research. Uh, what I loved was is that there are books, there are people out there have, have written books and done the studies of all the names in the Bible and their meaning. So we were able to dig into all that research and, and find out the meanings of names uh, in the Bible. One of the things not only that stood out to me was the way that names were translated, but the impression that I left the entire translation with is how it presents Christianity in a really earthy, real way, where it's not just a system of truths to be believed, but a way of life and a way to be lived. Um, I'm wondering if that was part of the hope that you had when you wrote the translation, that people would come away from it with that sense. Um, and then I'm also wondering if you can talk a little bit more, you have already talked about beauty, but I think one thing that might strike readers as they come away is beauty and harmony are woven throughout the translation. 
in a really wonderful way and often tied together. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit, not only sort of about this way that you hoped, or if you hoped readers would come away with this sense of Christianity as a way to be lived, but these concepts of beauty and harmony. Yeah, um, well, one of the things, um, as a believer in Jesus myself, um, I've, I've always believed that Christianity is a way to be lived, not just a doctrine to be believed. Uh, you know, there's, there's a big difference between believing doctrines and living your life and practicing and, and, and living out the truths that you say you believe. And, and, Native, and for Native people, uh, our worldview uh, is very holistic. We don't have this secular and spiritual idea that I have a secular life and then I have a spiritual life. No, we, we see everything is integrated. We do believe there is natural and there is spiritual, but we believe that the natural and spiritual are, are interrelated with one another. Um, and so everything in that sense, everything is spiritual and, and spirituality becomes a road to walk, a way to live, like I, I had mentioned earlier. And so to that concept already exists in the Bible. We just kind of brought it out through our native culture because it matches what we already believe about the way spiritual things should be. One of the ways that Native people see the world might, uh, one way to understand it would be in the circle, the circle of life. Every, uh, we, we notice through creation, and, and you know, Scripture says that God reveals himself through the created things, right? And so we, we had, our Bible was creation in the beginning. And, I, and, you know, before we, the New Testament, we can kind of look back to our Old Testament, is what we viewed around us, the world around us. And so we saw how things were done in circles, that the, the seasons went, it kept repeating themselves over and over again. The sun would, uh, you know, would circle the earth over and over again. The moon would come out in different cycles, and those cycles always matched and they always presented a circle and a way of of integrating everything together and so we call that harmony when when things are working the way that the creator made them to work then we have harmony when we're sick that harmony is lost when we walk in broken ways that harmony between us and the creator and between all created things you know, when we treat the earth badly, we're losing harmony with the way Creator wants the earth to be. And so, uh, you know, the, this idea of beauty and harmony, beauty is just is one of the ways we translated uh, the word glory. What is glory? You know, we looked in the, uh, into the Hebrew and into the Greek and how it was used in Second Temple Judaism and all these different things translators are supposed to do. And we learned how to do those things. And uh, glory is where there's a beauty. There, there, there's an essence. The Creator has an essence within himself. And in the beginning, the way Creator revealed himself is light. He's the light. And so light is, is, the, is, is what reveals everything. You're not going to be able to see the beauty of a flower unless the light is, is on it. And so beauty and glory come together because light reveals beauty. 
light can also reveal that there's some bad stuff there too. And so that all fits into the, the whole picture. But um, so beauty has to do with the integration, the working of everything together in a harmonious way. And I, we believe, I believe that creator sets free. Jesus came to restore that harmony and that beauty between us and the creator to help us see his beauty in the face of Jesus and in the teachings and life of Jesus as he lived out his life. And so, um, so we wanted to use wording uh, that would reflect that idea within our culture, but also express a biblical idea that 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 has common ground with our culture. I love that. And one of the, the things it sort of connects to my next question, which is uh, the idea of family, the way that family is used throughout the text. And uh, you talk about the larger body of Christ as the entire sacred family. And I wonder if you could just say more about that, um, the indigenous understanding of interdependent relationships and community and um, and how that connects with the vision of belonging that we have in the scriptures. You know, in our in our native cultures, uh, everything was about community. It was about how we lived together. When we were born into clans and tribes, and that gave us a sense of our purpose. And all the stories we told tell us how we fit into this world, how we fit you know, how we came about and what is our purpose as a people. And and so uh, family and community becomes so important. Many people don't understand that a totem pole isn't some kind of an idol. A totem pole is a family tree. It Each uh, totem or animal on that pole represents one of our clans. And it represents, so a totem pole will have the clan of that family, the, the, the family history there for them to see and relate to. But natives, you know, also every ceremony that we did was a communal thing. It, ceremonies weren't done in private. Ceremonies were done in community with, with uh, members coming together. The, the idea that we're a, a family is so important. And so what we did, the word church was another one of those words that just didn't relate well. And what we did was we looked at the relational aspect of the church. And in, in several places, scripturally, the church is called the oikos, the household, the family of God. Okay, so if the church is the family of God, then Let's translate the word church as sacred family. That identifies it as this sacred family that gathers together for ceremony, that gathers together to uh, pray together and to uh, do things together. So, so <clears throat> that idea, um, we, 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 we worked really hard to kind of decolonize the scripture. And so we intentionally went after these other things. And it's turned out that uh, very few translations have done this in English. And so a lot of people are just really surprised. Oh, wow. It's a new way of looking at it. It's a new way of relating to these words that have been in our English Bibles for so long and these the meanings of the names and all this. Sometimes the names, meanings, fits into the story. 
And we didn't know that by just hearing the name. And so uh, I think in, in many ways, uh, you know, our, our culture as Native people has been undervalued, not only by the, by the, by the world, but by the church by the body of Christ, in, especially in America. We're better valued in other countries. Uh, but but in, in this land, we're, not, we're really undervalued in so many ways. Who are our Native leaders? Who are the national leaders who are Native American? Can, can, you know, very few people can name them unless you work in that world, in that smaller world, and then you begin to know who the leaders are. But nationally, you wouldn't hear about those leaders. Like you might, you, we have Asian leaders, we have black leaders, we have other ethnicities in the body of Christ, but where is the native leadership? It's there, but it's not being recognized. So one of our hopes of this translation is that people will see the value of a native perspective as we approach the sacred text. And, uh, Native people have so much to offer that has been overlooked in the body of Christ. And we hope that this will start bringing us together, create new conversations. Why did you do this? Why did you say it that way? Let me tell you why we said it that way, just like we're doing today. I love that answer because I think one of the things that, you know, as I came to this translation, you don't even realize that you have a particular picture of things, a particular picture of the world until you see another picture, you know, that, that says, oh, wow, I've really been picturing church a certain way, or I've been picturing um, Jesus a certain way, or I've been picturing, you know, the kingdom of God a certain way. And so to have something else to call it into question, another picture alongside, um, yeah, it really allows you to examine your, your own faith and, and the things that you take for granted. And I think that's a gift uh, to the, to the entire sacred family. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Many times we're raised up with what I would call a monocultural view, and and we really do in in this land have a uh, the 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 dominant part of the body of Christ has a monocultural view of our Creator, and hopefully we we can help people out of that monocultural view, because there's so much richness in who God is that. It, now, one culture can't fully express him. We need every part of the body of Christ. We need every ethnic group, every, you know, it says in, in the book of Revelation, every tribe and every what? Language. Language is important to our creator. The New Testament was written in Greek. That's not what Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke Aramaic. So from the beginning, the Bible was intended to be translated to another culture and to another people, and and so that that's uh, that's the beginning of the Bible, and and it continues on because translation is not only necessary; it's helpful. I'm in agreement with Justin. I think um, reading the text sort of bursts you out of your assumed worldview. But I, I am wondering, what are your hopes for the ways that this will help us engage with who God is, and what are your hopes for people? to engage with this, ranging from First Nations communities to a theology professor or student at Dort? Wow. Um, well, one of the things about the First Nation version with our Native people, I have Native leaders and pastors and um, ministry leaders who believe uh, that this is going to be a game changer for, for Native ministry. I have a friend, Bruce Plummer, who's a Cinnaboying from uh, Montana, Montana Indian Ministries. 
and he uh, he does a more a culturally related ministry. He has uh, a camp uh, right on his reservation, and every almost every child, young person from that tribe has been in his camp and heard about Jesus, but heard about him in a more contextual way. He's been using the First Nation version now for years, just begging and hoping that we would get it the whole New Testament done because we released it when it was half done and he's been using it. But so we really believe it, it could be a game changer in ministry. He does. He actually told me that he wants to get 50,000 copies of it. Now that to me is like, what? And he says, I, I just think this is so important. And so he's raising money. I, I think the, um, I just was told that the Gideons in Canada, Gideon ministry guy, just bought 1,500 copies to distribute on on the Ute Reservation in the United States, uh, to distribute out um, there through um, through the InterVarsity, uh, Native InterVarsity Ministry. Many people have heard of Krug, uh, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. Well, when we when I came out with the with the the prequel to the New Testament called "When the Great Spirit Walked Among Us," which was a harmony of the Gospels, a professor from Crew, who uh, who worked with Crew and and helped teach uh, the new staff how to cross cultures and to do cross cultural ministry, he was using the First Nation version to teach that. And to express that and to help them see how that works. So um, I believe that it can be used in so many ways. In inner varsity, it's being used for Bible studies. We actually tested it on so many Native students through inner varsity. And the report came back to us uh, very positive, including two students who came to faith simply from reading it. How could it be used by professors um, I have a professor, Daniel Hawk, from uh, Ashland uh, Seminary in Ohio, uh, and uh, he he's encouraged me along the way that this is such a, a needed thing. And uh, but he reads from it to his students, just to give them a different kind of feel and perspective of how to look at the scripture and how how much our own culture sort of locks us into certain ways of thinking, and he wants to help break people out of that, those ways of thinking. So those are some of the ideas. I, uh, I I think the more it gets out there, the more we're going to see it being used in those ways, and in, even in new ways. So I think that a lot of time when you talk about translation, we're all familiar with the phrase lost in translation, but a lot of times we don't think of what's gained in translation and the gains for the people group receiving a new translation um, in their heart language are clear, but there are also all of these gains for um, the larger body of Christ, the entire sacred family, as you say. And so I want to, I'd love to hear you speak about what you think the gains are in um, the way that we see Jesus or creator sets free as he's referred to in this text. And then the other question I have for that too is, there, there could be a pushback, um, I imagine, among people saying, you know, Christianity is the religion of 
colonialism of the oppressor, why not just throw the whole thing out? Why hold on to Jesus or why hold on to um, the Christian story of, of creator and creator sets free? Uh, what is it about Jesus that you've seen uh, or that you've experienced that has led to this labor of love that is the translation of the First Nations version? Well, some, you know, some of the benefits of this translation, I've already spoken a little bit about that. Um, what really surprised us was uh, the number of non-Native people that really love this. And and right now, I've been told that they're in the third, they ordered a third printing already, uh, that the sales are going beyond expectation. So I know a lot of non-Native people out there are buying this, and somehow it, it's connecting to them. But um, And so there must be something in it that, you know, I, I really believe that, that our Creator uh, has diversified His gifts of a grace in the body of Christ. You know, you know, he says, Paul says in a simple way, the eye can't say to the, to the foot or the hand, I don't need you. You know, but actually, we've done a lot of the I don't need you. And what I'm hoping for the First Nation version, as people read it, it will, it will broaden their perspective of who the Creator is, but also who our Native people are. Most people don't understand the real history behind what's happened. I hope that it will raise curiosity among people and it will help uh, non-Native people begin to value more what Native people have to offer in the body of Christ um, out there. And, and again, it, getting rid of that monocultural view. Every student of the Bible that goes deep enough into the Greek and the Hebrew and, and actually Beyond the Greek and Hebrew, you have to get into the culture of the day. What did this mean to the Jewish people of that day? When they said, when Jesus said, give us each day our daily bread, well, what did he mean by bread? Did he, was he literally talking about, I need a loaf of bread every day from God? Or was he using language that was so familiar to the way uh, Jewish people in that day thought about bread? And how do we relate that? To native people. And so when we say the elk, the buffalo, the salmon, the corn, the squash, the wild rice in the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer, all of a sudden it, it breaks you out of just this literalistic idea. And all of a sudden you start getting, oh, this is talking about much more than just bread. It's talking about something, the staples of life, the, the important things of life. And so all those things we mentioned, the elk, the buffalo, the salmon, were all so important for our survival as Native people in those cultures. And bread was, is, was an important food. It was, it was a survival food. So, uh, so those are, are some of the ways, I think, uh, that can come out. Now, colonialism, I call it one of the sins of the world. To force the beauty of Jesus onto another people destroys the gospel. It doesn't... It doesn't help the gospel in any way. And the amazing thing to me, see, only about less than 5% of our Native people, it's estimated, uh, follow uh, the, the teachings of Christianity or, or follow Jesus or go to church, however you want to look at that. But, um, and, and why is that? 
Why why do do such a small number? It's because of the way this gospel was brought to us. It wasn't a gospel at all. It was bad news for us. It was the end of our way of life. It was the end of being able to actually think through the spirituality of Christianity and, and see if it had value enough to embrace it ourselves. No, we weren't given that choice. We were just told we have to do it this way. And in so doing, we destroyed the gospel. Colonialism destroyed the gospel for our native people. I'm hoping that we can make the gospel come alive again in a good way and that, that it can be looked at through a sort of a non-colonial lens from native people to native people. But also, we see it as a gift from our native people to the uh dominant body of Christ, the larger family uh, of, of the sacred family of Creator. Well, our guest today has been Terry Wildman, who is the lead translator or head of the project that uh, of the team that uh, has produced this wonderful gift to the church, the First Nations version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament. Terry, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, and I, I hope you'll be able to I don't know if you put on your podcast a link to our website and firstnationsversion.com is a good way to find our website and learn more about the translation, how it was done and how you can get a hold of it and, um, and other things too. Thanks for listening to the In All Things podcast from the Andreas Center at Dort University. Original music is provided by The Ruralist, and thanks are in order to Ruth Clark, Shannon Vischer, Vaughn Donahue, and the production team at the Andreas Center. You can find us online at inallthings.org or follow us on Twitter under the name at in underscore all underscore things. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. And if you find our content beneficial, please help us out by leaving a review and sharing with others. Thanks for tuning in.